Welcome to the Mortis and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number 33. I'm Mike Updegraff. And I'm Joshua Klein. We've and got we've been, some news. Yeah, issue 11 is at the printer. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and they're, they're super fast. So I think that uh, I expect an email actually pretty soon saying, hey, we're getting ready to wrap this thing up and get this thing uh, shipped out to your subscribers. So we're super excited about issue 11. Uh, lots of interesting back and forth, different uh, perspectives. So uh, stay tuned, you subscribers. It's coming soon. Yep. And uh, if you're not subscribed or if you're not sure if you are, just send us an email at info at mortisandtenonmag.com. And uh, Grace over there will help you out. Yep. Uh, so another thing that's going on this week is uh, this is week two of our first term of the Mortis and Tenon Apprenticeship Program. It is. and Which is our uh, <clears throat> online educational platform. Um, so it's sort of a hybrid between online and uh, in-person. We've talked about this before, but uh, we're into, as of the recording now, today, Monday, uh, we're into week two. Yeah. It's been uh, pretty awesome to see all these folks going through sharpening last week and struggling in the beginning and uh, feeling super pumped and uh, feeling competent and confident with sharpening now. And uh, wow, what yeah. an exciting thing to see. Yeah. I mean, we have, you know, in this term, you know, 30 some students uh, all engaging with each other and doing similar projects and exercises and uh, sharing knowledge, sharing insight, sharing, mm -hmm. you know, failures and successes. And um, we also have our students doing readings from different books and, and commenting their thoughts on that. And so that has been great as well, getting students' insights on, on the stuff we're sending them and the books that, that uh, they have, their, their assigned texts for the course. Yeah. Um, so that's been awesome. And uh, we're going to use the, uh, this program to kind of segue into our discussion today because... For this program, we're quite dependent on some technology. Yeah, our internet. Yeah. So one of the benefits of living rurally, not living in the big city uh, with all the fancy folks, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is that our internet is, it's kind of like, um, I heard the story from my friend Will that he lives in Vermont and he lives on a dirt road. And I think, you know, whatever the the state or whatever wanted to pave the road because in in spring there's just mud everywhere and it's really hard to get through but he told us that all the locals the people who live on that road protested that they didn't want their road paved because then all these people would come and move there oh yeah right so it's sort of keep our place local and quiet and i feel like our internet is like that <laughs> that yeah. our internet here is so bad yeah. that it's a major discouragement to flood the area with people. See, yeah. if we tell anyone mm. how awesome this area mm -hmm. is to live in, yeah. they might all, yeah. you know, like fill up the area. We can't even, we don't have elbow room. Yeah. So if we keep our internet really bad. Yeah, we actually like that. And we have some space. Yeah, I mean, and the funny thing <laughs> is, you know, so many people have found that telecommuting is an option for their job. Oh, so they I just want to get away. They want to get out of the city and come uh, live rurally. Uh, but if they can't connect, then they can't do that. Yeah. So, so as an example, we uh, designed this uh, online educational program, mm -hmm. and we're very dependent on the internet for this, of course, including 
ability to do live video. Yeah, so we've been uploading our massive videos and stuff on there. We've, no joke, been driving to the library to upload some yeah. of our videos. Uh, Mike does them from his house because he actually has a better internet connection than here at the shop. Mm. We've been like using all these workarounds. But we thought, okay, well, let's do live stream office hours a few times a week and be able to answer questions. Yep. Bad idea. Yeah. Uh, our internet is so bad. Yeah. That, oh, <laughs> and there is something usually, on top of that. Yeah, yeah. As so well. usually it's so bad, but yeah. go on. Yeah. So it's usually bad, but doable. Like we have done live uh, videos yep. before and it's been okay. Um, but as we found out, uh, Joshua was on the phone with tech support for an hour and a half one day last week. And then uh, he came to find out that there is uh, maintenance being done on the uh, cell towers around here. And we get our internet um, through the cell service because there's no land option at this location. Yeah. So No, no functional land option. Right. No, <laughs> like I mean, can, dial up. You can pay for it. Yeah. You're right, just not right. going to get internet. Um, so... They've been doing maintenance and supposedly upgrades, uh, but the maintenance has begun in the time where our uh, Morrison Tenant Apprenticeship Program has begun. Yeah, so the very first Office Hours live stream looked like Atari. Yeah. You know, it's just super <laughs> pixelated. Which people love Atari. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Atari is... Vintage is cool. Yeah, pretty vintage. But not cool when yeah. your apprentices or you know your students are trying to see what you're you're trying to you're demonstrate hand crank grinder techniques yeah. and you it looks like you filmed it with a potato yeah right? <laughs> so <laughs> and broadcasted from your atari yeah exactly so yeah so this this whole thing is built on infrastructure it's all mm -hmm. built on this uh big system of technology that's supposed to work for us um, and that we're really dependent on. And so we have to get creative and try to get around all of our shortcomings here to make this thing functional. Yeah. And since since we live in a culture that does love crisis, right? I mean, we name weather fronts now, which is great. <laughs> and we have dramatic music for such things. Um, we've dubbed this the Sedgwick Mobile Internet Crisis of 2021. Yeah. You know, all... 500 some odd residents of Sedgwick probably are going through the same crisis mm -hmm. that we are. Um, but we wanted to talk today about the fact that infrastructure is soft, right? And we've mm -hmm. seen that play out time and time again over the past, uh, let's say, few years around the world. What do you mean by soft? I, was... I will say soft like you, like a, a house of cards, we'll say. Okay. Soft as in it's, it's not very solid. So here's another analogy that goes, it's the exact opposite. I would say technology is so hard, it's like an over-hardened uh, uh, tool edge, chisel. Mm. And that when Ooh. you use it, it's so brittle, it just Snaps. shatters. Okay, yeah. Uh, I, either one of those directions are not a good place to yeah. be. When too soft or too hard. You want Goldilocks technology. Yeah, not, you, we went just right. Uh, but but we've all seen a lot of um, infrastructure issues just recently. You know, a few weeks ago, we had this um, big hurricane come up the mm -hmm. coast here. And it first hit in um, Louisiana and did all kinds of terrible flooding yeah. down there and then came up. And um, New York City, uh, Central Park, at one point got more rain in an hour than they've ever recorded there, right? They've only been keeping records for maybe a hundred years, but that's a lot of rain. That's a lot and of rain. And it overwhelmed the infrastructure to the point where there's, you know, water flooding the subways and coming up people's toilets. Uh, and 
it's just not something that they could deal with. So the infrastructure there got taken down uh, yeah. in a big way, and it affected a lot of people. And so um, we thought that we would frame the Sedgwick Mobile Internet Crisis of 2021, uh, you know, in in a way to look at the bigger picture of infrastructure, how much we rely upon it, and are we really happy about that? Yep. And we've called this this episode Armageddon Life Skills. Armageddon Life Skills. <laughs> yeah. So the other question we're asking here is, um, like, how might our hand skills, the hand skills that we're building, right? And this is as we say, this isn't just a hobby, it's more like a, a lifestyle pursuit. But how might our hand skills allow us to survive and thrive in a post-apocalyptic time? <laughs> and of course, that's a little tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Well, if you have an axe, zombies are not much of a problem. Yeah, especially if you get that honed razor edge. Yeah, you want a long handle, though. Yeah, Cause they, plenty you know, of If reach. they can get their fingernails into you. Oh, boy. Yeah. So the long, the felling axe, you're saying instead of like yeah, the, yeah, the spoon carving sure. hatchet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, our, our friend over at Liberty Tool Company, Skip, um, he has, he, he, he actually has a, a brilliant mind. He's written some books about things like biocatastrophe and stuff. And you, you wouldn't know it just um, thinking, oh, it's just somebody who runs like a, a resale shop or a place to buy used tools. But he's thought a it's lot. Like, I mean, it feels like it's like an antique junk shop. You right. Know? It's like yeah. you walk in and it's just uh, musty smelling and mm -hmm. low lighting and a bunch yeah. of old, dirty, Piles grimy stuff. wooden stuff laying everywhere. Uh, but Skip, uh, he he's one of those people that there's... Um, he also has this really good sense of humor about things. Like I'll say he has this filing cabinet in at the Liberty Tool Company. And um, the drawers have different labels. It's like drill bits and sharpening stones and, and mm -hmm. countersinks. And then he has some like uh, biohazard and then he has the nuclear waste drawer. And my kids always go and look in those drawers because yeah. they're hoping to find something, but they haven't. Every yet. time I call the store, yeah, he has this, this um, uh, caller ID, that this robot that announces who's calling. So every time he... He, he, I call, he picks up, he goes, Department of Homeland Security. <laughs> nice. I'm like, hey, Skip. Yeah. You open today? <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's great. Um, he's, we, um, Joshua interviewed him for issue two, and uh, he really shared a lot about what motivates him to be um, traveling around New England, buying lots of old hand tools, and um, kind of doing a quick refurbish or cleaning and then reselling them. You mm -hmm. know, he's not he's not motivated by um, you know, stocking the shelves of collectors. Mm -hmm. In fact, oftentimes his prices are among the best around. Yeah, they're dirt cheap. It's and really he, hard he to limits. Eat. If he knows you're a collector, he'll limit how many you can buy. Yeah. And it's quite a, a severe limit because he is trying to get it out of the hands of people who are going to jack prices up. Um, just trying to turn profit. He's trying to get these tools into people's hands to actually use them in the trades. Yeah. Um, and I can just hear, actually there's, yeah, I can hear one of our listeners right now snickering <laughs> and laughing and saying, oh my goodness, is, are these guys serious? Yeah. Uh, and Skip is dead serious. He wants people to be able to uh, retain skills, to have cultivate skills, and to be able to uh, withstand whatever comes their way. Yeah, I mean, he... He has done um, a lot of research and a lot of writing 
on things like, for example, our use of um, uh, or the the impact of microbead plastic on the environment and how plastic doesn't ever go away. It just breaks down smaller and smaller and smaller and to the point where, um, you know, it's it's absorbed up in the plants that we eat or like uh, animals uh, can take in plastic, ingest it. It, it breaks down to the point where it's um, small enough to be you know, permeating in cells and things, and then what the effects of that are on our environment as the plastics we've been using for only, you know, about 100 years mm -hmm. are getting smaller and smaller and can be found pretty much everywhere on this planet now. Any thimbleful of soil you pick up has some plastic in it. Um, so he's, he's done a lot of thinking about that. And one of the things that motivates him uh, in his tool sales was an event uh, mm -hmm. that happened in 1859. It was a solar event. Um, it was called the Carrington event. So it's a big solar storm, a big flare that sent um, they, like a, a coronal mass ejection, right? It's this massive uh, field of plasma that came um, towards Earth and impacted our atmosphere. It caused, you know, aurora borealis, I think as far south, almost to the equator. I mean, it was, wow. it was a massive solar event. And at that point, you know, 1859, you think, okay, so what was the infrastructure like? We had railroads. We almost had a transcontinental railroad by that point, right? Or am I getting my dates wrong? Um, I don't know. When was it's... the, the prom promontory point Utah? When was that golden spike driven? I should ask my kids. I know they know. Mm. 1859. It was close, right, to the transcontinental railroad. And so we also had telegraph lines. Um not much else. Everything was very analog, right? Yeah. We had steam power. We had some factories around. Um, but that event, uh, it, it was this amazing electromagnetic event in the atmosphere. And those long telegraph lines stretching across the country make great antennas for that kind of thing. And this energy from the sun was... Um, amplified by those antennas and it started fires in telegraph offices all around the world in fact you know several burned down because of that energy and people talk about the carrington event today they say it's it's probably like a 150 year event which if you Wait, do the hold on a quick math let me think 19 2009 oh yeah goodness. um there was a major solar storm that happened in 2012, uh, but the, the ejection missed Earth. And they talk about that as possibly a Carrington-level event. But the, the conjecture is, if this were to happen today and make a direct hit on Earth, our infrastructure, our digital technology would be fried like that. I just snapped my fingers. I don't know if you could hear that. So that quick. Um, so what would that look like? What would that look like? I mean, in terms of we get a big hurricane or something and infrastructure goes down, but then it's pretty quickly rebuilt, mm -hmm. right? We start to get connection back. Internet is back up. Power goes back up. Uh, we can make phone calls, right? Pretty quickly. You know, that kind of communication technology is, is quick to recover. Uh, but what if those devices themselves were cooked? <laughs> what if what if your computer doesn't work be not because it can't make a connection, but because it's been destroyed? No, no. There are factories <laughs> that make those devices. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. Oh. What about the factories? Shoot. What about your car that has the processor we, way more powerful than the We have the all the plans for those backed up on the cloud. 
Oh yeah, oh, on the cloud. Shoot. Oh wait, yeah. All that data, <laughs> all that information. I mean, like that's like I, Atlantis, man. Yeah, it's, it's like we think there was a culture here. Yeah, <laughs> but we can't, we have like, no record. We have of no it. record. These people must have been illiterate because yeah, there's no any... written material left except maybe like Mortis and Tenon magazine. <laughs> <laughs> that must be the pinnacle of their culture. It's printed on paper. <laughs> That's amazing. Everything else was just wiped, you know. Um, it's a, it's something to think about. Like we are relying on all this technology that is um, pretty fragile, yeah. you know. And so, like for example, uh, new cars are so um, technology heavy, right? Like a, a new Honda Civic weighs about a thousand pounds more than a Honda Civic from the eighties. Mm -hmm. Not because it's much bigger though. It is a little bigger, but it's loaded with technology. Some of it's safety related. Some of it is, but most of it is engine controls and, and all your airbag sensors and zones and things like that. Um, but that makes it also much more fragile, fragile. And so, yeah. Uh, like an 80s Honda Civic or my my little 80s carbureted motorcycle would still run after being irradiated like that. Mm -hmm. um, but my car out front and yours wouldn't start. Yeah, right. Um, and so it's, we, we started thinking about this in terms of, um, you know, what does it look like practically to... Uh, be in the process of developing skills that could still work mm -hmm. you know in terms of technologies that work how about skills that work yeah well so that, that's what i was going to say about this whole thing is if you're talking about <clears throat> you know what would we do i don't think it's a good path to say okay well what kind of technologies can we use that could withstand that right i feel like that's a really short-sighted uh way to even approach it because if you're saying i want to find a th uh a device or an apparatus that I can put my trust in that it's going to survive a certain thing. You're, you're, uh, the whole idea of technology is this idea of outsourcing. You're mm -hmm. outsourcing the, uh, the performance of that activity to something else. So, um, let's say you have, you know, the, the classic easy example that everyone can has heard probably already is GPS. You know, you're outsourcing the ability to navigate to a device to tell you to turn left or right. That's an easy one. But all technologies do this for us. This podcast right now is outsourcing our ability to travel around and you know give this little talk to everyone around the world. Right? <laughs> You're going to so, be knocking on your front door. Yeah. So um, all technologies outsource. But what they do with that is they're also at the same time is they're displacing uh, people doing the work. Hmm. So that doesn't mean that our technologies uh, our agents that they that they have agency and they're like monsters running around taking jobs from people. Right. But as new technologies are developed, it's displacing the um, the people who used to do that work. And so I think in terms of that, if we say, okay, well, let's get a technology that um, will help us with this. We're looking we're looking at something that's going to displace our native ability to mm. do something, and displacement opens the door to disability that we're no longer able to do that task because we've always been dependent on these devices or these you know technologies whether we're steering the thing or plugging it in or we're the engineer for the device or whatever the more dependent we are on outside um, sources 
or competencies, the less fragile our situation is, the more disabled, the more disabled we are, mm-hmm. the less able we are to do these things. And so in my mind, I would say, I don't think what we should be spending our time on is um, as individual people, maybe as a society, maybe that's a good thing for some companies to think about technologies that could withstand a you know, solar flare. But as individuals, I think we should be thinking about uh, what kinds of things should I be investing in? In devices? Or should I be investi- investing in skills and building that native in, in myself, all kinds of broad skills, so that I can be adaptable and uh, shift gears in, in any situation? Um, and it's not just in a catastrophic, apocalyptic scenario, but just in any sort of life. When your internet drops out, yep. are you stranded? Yeah. Or do you know how to get home? <laughs> right. You know, when you lose reception or something, uh, have you cultivated the skill to be uh, aware of your surroundings and um, and be able to get home? And I will say for sure, as I'm even saying that, I bring that up because um, not speaking as someone who has that uh, aptitude at all times, uh, that's I'm keenly aware of it because I feel that dependence. As soon as I'm out somewhere and GPS drops out, I get nervous because I've just been dependent for an hour and a half on GPS, and I actually don't know how to turn around and yeah, get home. Yeah, you don't even know I where you are. I wasn't paying attention, yeah. you know? Um, so I think that's really where my mind is heading with this kind of, you know, this you know, Armageddon life skills. And I think I would <laughs> emphasize skills. Yeah. It's not Armageddon life technologies that are going to save us. Yeah. It's Armageddon life skills. What kinds of things would we want to do uh, whether it's as catastrophic as a solar flare or just uh, annoying and a bummer as losing internet for a while, what kind of skills would you want to have? Yeah. Yeah. And um, as as you're talking there about um, like this technology that we've become dependent on in a very short while, like when were the first civilian GPSs available, like with actual maps? It was, I don't know, it's been 20 um, years ago. Yeah, easily within my like yeah. adulthood, I think, yeah. uh, something like that. And so, so quickly that technology has become ubiquitous. It's, it's everywhere. But if you think about like the device that you have in your pocket or the one that you're listening to this podcast on, how long is that technology going to be? Uh, relevant? How long is that going to be the the latest thing? And how quickly will that become irrelevant? Like I was thinking about um, when MP3 music first came out and I thought, oh, this is so cool. Like I don't need to burn all my stuff on a CD anymore yeah. to listen to music. <laughs> I had, you know, the uh, I had a tape deck in my car that I plugged in the tape cassette adapter and ran it down to my CD, CD player, player, which yeah. I had Velcroed to the console. Yep. And it had like 20, 25 second anti-skip mm-hmm. or something. So, which was great. I could listen to music unless I was on a really bumpy road. And then it would start skipping. Mm-hmm. So I would burn my favorite songs onto a CD. And I know people are listening to this and going... Well, there are two pe- two groups of people listening to this. There are the people listening to this going, man, you are an old fart. And there are They're people saying, listen- what's a CD? Yeah. And there are people listening going, <laughs> oh, yeah, but I remember mixtapes and I remember 8-track and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, vinyl is the way to go. It's hard to play vinyl in your car. Um, but, you know, all this technology changes so fast. So when MP3 technology came, 
I got a little MP3 player. I could fit like 20 songs on it, and I thought it was the greatest thing ever. Mm. And now, you know, that is... Can you even just buy a, a digital MP3 player? Because it's that's what our phones do. Um, so, so that technology was relevant for like six years, and then it moved on. And so now, every few years, you know, we we have our phone. Let's say we have we we buy a new phone, and we're immediately a year later hit with oh you know it's time to upgrade. You can get a free upgrade. Time to upgrade this technology. And you know there are some companies out there making this technology, uh, intentionally making it become obsolete, so that you are not just motivated, but eventually you don't even have the choice. You have to upgrade if you want to keep using it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this technology that we're talking about is oftentimes it's very temporal. It has a very short window where it can exist. The, an iPhone would be useless in 1985. Right. You couldn't do anything with it. An iPhone, today's iPhone, will be useless in 2030. You won't be able to do anything with it. There's a window on the timeline where it's usable technology. and But when we're, we're talking about um, the use of simple tools, this is technology that's as relevant today as it was three or four hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're talking about the axe or the plane or the saw or these tools that we can use to build shelter and furniture and things like that um this is technology with staying power right yeah um i read a book uh a year or so a couple years ago i guess um by a guy named ben falk f-a-l-k okay and uh the book is called the resilient farm and homestead it's a really interesting book uh published by chelsea green ben falk is a permaculture design um consultant um and he also uh, does a lot of i think sort of like well it's he's not a commercial farmer but he's a a homesteader so he's providing for a lot of his own needs and the book is all about um this idea that of resiliency which has kind of become a buzzword in some circles Mm. uh, maybe in the homesteading world um and what i like about ben's book is that he's contrasting that his uh, his concept of resiliency with the prepper mentality. Hmm. Uh, maybe some of you listening have already assumed, we're, oh, this is like prepper talk. Well, no. <laughs> no, it's actually not at no. all. And Ben Falk basically says like, um, or I would kind of summarize the message, You know, a, a prepper mentality is like buying a bunch of canned goods and tarps to hide under right. until it's all over. Yeah. That, that's what it is. That's yeah. about the extent You have of it. three years worth of food. Yeah. However, that's just as limiting like what happens in three yeah, years and then what, <laughs> yeah. right so ben falk's thing is no no we're not trying to like just hide until it's all over we want resilience yeah. we want to cultivate skills and uh, know how to make our own medicine wait can you make your own medicine you can actually yeah. make your own medicine from plants that are around um how to build things with uh materials that are available to you um how to uh, identify plants for food not just medicine um, and so he talks about um, being able to uh, have a, a really broad uh, vision for what kinds of skills you would want to have. Say something bad did happen at whatever scale, however bad, how would you how would you thrive in that? And so he actually um, uh, talks about this not in terms of that. He basically says you don't want to get so specialized 
that you're really, really good at something and you can't do other things. Mm. Like what I would say, don't be great, be good. Mm. You know, like that's, that's how I would put it. And that's kind of been a, a focus of mine since reading Ben's book. Don't be great, be good. Because if you can be good at a lot of things, that is a more uh, a broadly applicable and more um, uh, stable sort of greatness than being really great at one thing. Because yeah. think about the hyper-specialist in a dire situation. Yeah. The hyper-specialist who is really, really good at fixing this one problem in this one kind of foreign car. Yeah. He's <laughs> out of a, a job creek. at some point, yeah. you know? Right. So so Ben's talking about, oh, that is not resilience. That's all your eggs in one basket, right? Yeah. When that, and I actually, this that's an interesting uh, analogy because I remember... We've all heard that before. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And I remember one time learning that lesson because I, no joke, was collecting eggs for my chickens and had one basket mm -hmm. and all of our eggs were in it, uh, not just from that day, but from the, a few days prior. So I had all the last few days all with me and I tripped oh. and they all went <laughs> and I laughed because like, oh, <laughs> that's what they mean. Yeah, that is a powerful metaphor. <laughs> I should come up with a metaphor about yeah, this. Yeah. Um, Real quick, just as an aside, I was driving home the other day, and I was going down uh, Water Street there in mm -hmm. town, and uh, I stopped. The traffic in front of me stopped because a chicken was running across the road. This nice. is in the middle of town. Yeah. And we looked at each other, and everybody in line was, like, laughing their heads off because <laughs> we saw it. And they said, why? Why? Okay. Yeah. So anyway, Anyways. sorry. The eggs in one basket yeah, is so, a great metaphor. So the idea is um, spread out, diversify. Don't be great at one thing. Be good at lots of things. Um, and no, you're not going to be good at everything right away. But the point is, if you get good at something, shift gears. Yeah. Go learn another thing. And then go learn another thing over here so that you have this broad knowledge. And it's not just so that I can kind of be okay at a lot of stuff in their individual isolated units, but that as you learn different categories of skills, um, then you can build off of that mm. and say there's this category of skills that's like carpentry, building skills, and then there's like this category of mechanical skills and this category of food uh, collection and uh, harvesting, you know, kind of skills and uh, health skills, social skills. You can have all these different branches of skills and then within that every time you learn one of those skills in that branch you're able to jump quickly to all the others and make those connections so if you're a very um uh in tuned uh mechanic and you know nothing about construction or raising your own food and maybe you don't have good social skills i don't know uh if that's the case you can get really good at being a mechanic but it's mm. really hard to cross to the other branches right so I, um, Ben is jumping into, I, I think he's trying to get us to um, have a, a good, decent amount of working skill in each branch so that we can begin to make stronger, faster connections to all the other related skills. Yeah. And, you know, as you start to pursue these different connections, say in handcraft, like Joshua recently, um, you wrote about the desire to make nails, right? Yeah. That was in issue 10. Issue 10, yeah. Um, because you were you were building a firewood box and you were just going to nail it together with like nailed rabbit joints and you realized 
I can't actually do this on my own. Mm -hmm. I'm dependent on someone else with the skill to make nails. Now that's oftentimes today, it's a factory, it's not a person. But you're dependent upon the manufacturer of nails. You can't otherwise make that joint on your own. So you s set out to make nails, yep. right? And so as you explore these crafts, you start to run into barriers. You start to hit walls where you say, okay, this is as far as I can proceed, but now I'm dependent on someone else. Um, I think about, like, I'll, I'll use my wife as an example. You know, if years ago, she decided she wanted to take up crocheting and learn some something like that. And so she took up crocheting and then knitting. And so she she got pretty good at knitting and she became interested in, you know, pursuing yarn a little further than just going to the store and buying it. So I found this uh, old spinning wheel actually up at Liberty Tool Company. It was yeah. in a crate in pieces and bought this spinning wheel and put it together. And she, because she has knowledge on the fibers that she's using, she can grab onto spinning pretty quickly. And so she starts going backwards with spinning. So now she has this spun yarn. She's like, I want to learn how to dye the yarn and color it. And so she gets into like local plants that give certain colors. And so these pursuits keep moving you more and more broadly into not only the, the craft that you want, but it, it allows you to kind of circumvent that infrastructure that you're otherwise dependent on. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not ready to have sheep yet. <laughs> I'm not sure we'll get there, but, um, you know, maybe Angora bunnies or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing where as you start to pursue these areas where you want to be good, you start to realize the places that you can learn more, the mm -hmm. places that you're lacking, and you can keep digging in there and become more resilient. The other thing, actually, that we were talking about recently is this, uh, this uh, concept that uh, is passed around in every kind of field imaginable. Um, and I think it's pronounced the Pareto principle or Pareto principle. It's the 80-20 rule. Mm. And the rule applies in all sorts of ways. It's sort of like written into the fabric of the universe. Right? Oh, wow. Uh, apparently. It's like the golden mean. Yeah, it's like the golden mean, exactly. But apparently, it's a you know it's kind of a rule of thumb that the first 80% of uh, success or skill development or um, whatever has to happen occurs in the first 20% of effort, mm. right? So the first 80% of success is able to be achieved typically in the first 20% of effort. And to get the last 20% of the skills to 100%, you have to spend the last 80% of effort. Wow. So it's yeah. this inverse relationship, yeah. right? So what that means is there's it's like the learning curve people talk about. So you invest this 20% of energy and you're 80% there. You got a B. Yeah. You do B grade work. Yeah. Now, if you say, well, I'm not satisfied. I'm an A plus a. kind of yep. person. Great. There are some things in life that are worth getting an A plus at. Uh, just be aware that you're going to spend four times the amount of time you just spent to yep. get to where you're at. To get there. To get that last little bit. <clears throat> so I think that's part, it's connected with the um, don't be great, be good kind of thing that you know, you if you can get bees in everything, you are going to be able to be so uh, filled with uh, this this broad capacity to jump between skills and 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 I mean skills in all senses. And you know, Ben Falk talks about social skills, and he says if something goes down, how is your relationship with your neighbors? Mm. 
yeah, how are you able a... to uh, navigate a group of people who are um, trying to accomplish a task and there's friction and there's disagreement? Are yeah. you, do you have the skills to take the group and be a unifying voice? That is what is included. We're not just talking about blacksmithing or yeah, woodworking. Right. But all ki- can you wire a house? <laughs> can you get a group of people to uh, peacefully agree on something? Can you, you know, do whatever, make your own nails? Yeah, that one is really overlooked, I feel like. I feel like uh, in this country, in this culture, we are, we are just these kind of loners and we access other people for our benefit mm. and less for, you know, a, the fact that a community a co- like a co-unity think of it like that like all these people occupying the same space with the same needs and how do they pursue the same ends together like we don't need to do that at all yep i don't need to be worried about my neighbor if they have enough food because of course they have a job and they got a paycheck and they're doing their own thing and i'm doing my own thing yep. um so those skills would become absolutely necessary you know if you know, the world ends tomorrow, so to yep. speak. Uh, the ability to relate to your neighbor. Um, that is really interesting to think about. Ben has this interesting uh, assessment at the back of his book. And, you know, I come from a, <laughs> I come from a religious tradition that's skeptical of checklists, moral <laughs> checklists. Like, right. are you this? Are you that? Have you done this? Have you done that? We're, we're pretty skeptical about that idea. Um, because you can't, uh, one way to say it is you can't sort of legislate morality. Yeah. If I do this and do this and don't do this, then I'm, you know, I'm good. Right. Mm. That's, it's not the, the full picture. So we were, uh, I'm, I'm wary of checklists. However, checklists or assessments can be useful tools. And Ben talks about this. He has in this appendix, this assessing resiliency mm. aptitude quiz. And what I like about it is it's just a, a, a interesting little uh, exercise that he has these different categories of social, economic, personal, food, fuel, and heat, physical health, construction, all that kind of stuff. And he has a few tasks like, I can make and tend to fire. I am uh, patient when it comes to dealing with challenges. I can breed animals. I am not addicted to any foods or drugs, right? Wow. So he's got this crazy list of all these things. Uh, how do you answer those questions? Like on it's, a it's yes a, or no or no. a scale? So each of those, he, he has a, um, a number. So it's like each one is worth a different amount, like 20. Oh, okay. And you could say yeah. on a scale of 1 to 20, how am I at forge welding? <laughs> am I 2 because I know what it is? Right. <laughs> or am I 20 because I that's what I do for a living? Yeah. You know? Right. And so basically it's all this... Um, uh, it, it's all it comes down to quantification and numbers, but it is actually quite useful because, like all of these aptitude tests, they're not actually about just getting your number like it's an IQ thing and you can right. walk around with a badge on. But as you go through the process and you walk through what this author is considering pretty basic essential skills in each category, you can say, "Ouch, mm. ouch, yeah, ooh, okay, well I know how to do that, but ooh, mm. yeah." And instantly you get the sense of, okay, maybe, I, yeah, <laughs> maybe it's I know the where same to grow. Ouch! You feel when the power goes out, yeah, and is. you're like, oh, I don't have running water. <laughs> okay, yeah. so what should I have done better to prepare for this kind of contingency? Or like when you come up against something where you are trying to do some project or some task, and you're like, I can't do that. Yeah. 
ouch, what do I do? Yeah. So I that's think, great. I think Ben Falk's book, uh, The Resilient Farm and Homestead, has been, I just was flipping through it again this morning uh, in preparation of this podcast, just thinking about some of this stuff. And um, I just, I actually realized all the stuff I've underlined and written little notes, I thought, man, this book has really penetrated my mind. Mm, <laughs> I forgot yeah. how much it's shaped the way I think about how I'm investing for the future. Yeah. What kinds of things last? Um, and no one knows what's going to happen, but uh, I don't know if, if I only have one kind of skill. I am only a writer. Mm. I am only a woodworker. I am only a whatever. Uh, then that's a fragile situation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a, a place, let's say I'm only a, I only do manual labor and I get seriously injured. Yeah. I have no skills left. Yep. I can't Nothing do anything. Nothing to fall back on. And so um, there's strength in diversity. Yeah. You've, you've talked to me. Uh, I remember uh, early on when I started working with you, you were talking about how your uh, like retirement strategy, so to speak. I don't know if that's how you put it, but it was like um, cultivating skill. Skill. is yep. more valuable than having like big financial investments set aside. Yep. Yeah, because, that's, that's my plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me and, you know. Yeah, we'll see how, yeah. how that works out. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, like, can you, like, what do you mean by that? Just, you want to find security in being able to go in any direction that you need to. Yeah. If situ- the situation changes. Yeah, well, at the time, what I was thinking about was I was restoring antique furniture for a living. Right. That was how all of our bills were getting paid was I would glue up a chair and deliver it, got the check. Okay, now I need another chair. And I would start, you know, doing chairs or chest of drawers. And I was hauling these chest of drawers downstairs by myself at my clients' houses and thought, hmm. Yeah. Where, what happens where is I... this headed? Like, <laughs> how, where are these skills going to take me? And it, or is it so profitable that I'm confident that I can put so much money in the bank right. that I don't have to work once I'm 50 or something, you know, like that retire early and just kind of um, be set um, as if money is absolute right. security. Yeah, that's security. Um, if you have enough cash set aside. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I think it'd actually be better to broaden my skill set and be thinking about, um, at the time I was thinking, I want to cultivate writing skills and thinking skills and presentation and teaching so that I can have this kind of uh, this this broad skill set. So if I'm in a situation that I got to shift gears because the economy tanks right. in my area, yeah, or be or whatever, or you've restored all the antiques <laughs> on this peninsula so well that yeah. they never break <laughs> that, again. <laughs> that's right. That's the beautiful thing about working on antiques; they always need new repairs. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah, um, but so I always thought, okay, I want to be able to, um, and we've done that with, with our business too, with Morrison Tenon. We have the twice a year publication. We have instructional videos where we've learned how to make our own videos and Mm -hmm. post that. We've designed our own website, do our own merchandise. We do a Um, podcast. I don't know. We do a podcast. Yeah. Wait, this is, hold on. This is not an advertisement, (laughs) but it's not actually at all. Uh, But if you own a business, uh, I would encourage you to be thinking about that. Um, Yes, of course. Of course, there's a value in focusing and being you know, doing a good job with one thing and not spreading yourself thin. But I think it's important. I think people um, 
I've heard advice from people running businesses like that, where they just say, don't spread yourself so thin, just focus on one thing. And that's great if the economy was always stable. Right. But the reality is, it's never stable. Yeah. It's always up and down. And so you want to have at least a skill set in your back pocket, if right. not some other side gig going, that you can just shift your energy. And so I've tried to design my life to be that way too, so that if my life circumstances change, I can just kind of shift gears and it's not too uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when we when we step back and assess our, our lives, like, for example, if you look at the, the assessment in, in Ben Falk's book or um, Falk, Falk's book Falk. or elsewhere, yep. um, you know, and you start to see those weak areas or like I said, you know, you um, I, I, I heard this amazing story from a few years ago. There are these um, big power outages in L.A. I guess it made the national news for a little while. Um, I, I forget the, the background behind that story, what the cause was or something like that. But people were calling the, the local police departments to report this glow in the sky, which was the Milky Way. Ooh, and they had creepy. not, they didn't know what was up, like mm -hmm. what's going on. And so what that points out to me, it's not that the Milky Way was not there. It's just that they didn't, they couldn't see it because yeah. of their environment, because of they were so deeply embedded in that system that they couldn't see beyond it. And it takes the, the power going out for them to see beyond it. And I think it's, it's wise to look beyond the system while the power is still on. Yeah. You know, it's wise to, to think about those, those ends where you can improve, where you need to develop skill in a certain way. Like we have time now, like right now the powers on the internet was working well this morning. That's you know, that is amazing. I wonder if they're done with their repairs. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, seize the time that you have to, I think Ben talks about that in his book. Like he says, he talks about using um, gasoline powered or diesel powered machines to do a lot of earth moving. He said, yep. because yes, you can look at me and say, well, you're a hypocrite because you're, you're using these things. He's like, but these things are not going to be around forever. So I need to make use of this now to maximize the impact yep. for when I won't be able Making to use it. Making swales in, in my land, and yeah. digging ponds, and doing all that, yeah. so that that's resilience. Yeah, that's prepared for the future when I can no longer use this machine to do that. Yeah. So, if we're looking at our lives and and kind of assessing them, um, you know, make sure that you look beyond the infrastructure that you're relying on. Find those weak points and and really build them up. And maybe a way to say that is turn your lights off yeah. before your lights get knocked out. <laughs> That's right. Right? So if you if you uh, take a step back, if you desist from yep. technological dependence, if you kind of take a step back in your life and say, I'm going to choose to engage with stuff and learn how to use some of these tools. Yeah, that, and like talk converse about, with people face to face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Talk about aptitude test. Yeah. Right? You're going to test that. Say like, I don't know, can I take a tree down with an axe? I don't know. Whatever the thing mm -hmm. is you're interested in, you you do this little test and you see, where am I at? Yeah. Do I feel confident? So if you just turn that light off, as it were, and you kind of assess and test if you're at that place, then when the, if, when if the lights do get knocked out, you actually may have, you know, at yeah. least a good head start. 
Yeah. Yes, skills do offer security. I mean, in the sense that you know how to handle a situation when it arises. It's a terrible feeling to fall into a situation that you don't have a clue what to do. You know, when when you've been dependent on someone or something to do that thing for you. So, um, yeah, again, it's we're not neither of us are what you call preppers in any way. I don't know how many cans of food you have buried in your backyard. Zero. Not many. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But like our goal, you know, like my goal is I want to know, you know, I want to know as much as I can about my yeah. surroundings. I want to know as much as I can about growing food. I want to know about, you know, these different areas where if for some reason I cannot travel into town to go to the grocery store, I know of some options. Well, and, and I would say, I know you well enough, Mike, that that is not motivated by fear. Right. You're not afraid that if I don't, then yeah, I'm going to oh be boy. Up, you know, yeah. in trouble. It's motivated by wonder and joy and yeah. like it's not like, oh, it's terrible. I have to learn about the world and how it works. Right. Wow, that's a miserable oh, yeah. task. Yeah. No, that's what's so awesome. And I was thinking, you know, about um this I this idea that you have like um uh you you look at the situation, let's say you take this aptitude test for yourself. You try some stuff, you turn your lights out and you try some some physical engagement, some skill, whatever the skill is. Uh, you do some rewiring on the addition of your house and you test that skill. Can I run wires and learn from a buddy how to do wiring, right? And you push yourself a little bit and you assess that. Then you can, at the end, one of two things can happen. You can say, wow, cool. I actually didn't realize I'm pretty good at that. Mm. That's great. Or if you're like living in the real world and you're like us, uh, you realize, (laughs) wow, there's a huge chasm between where I am and where I want to be. Yeah. And so you can respond to that with despair and say, wow, well, I can put down F, failure. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at this. And say, how could I? There's there's so much gap between where I am and where I want to be. How could I ever get there? Yeah. Right? Or you could say, there's such a huge gap between what I know today and what I want to know in the future that how could I not go dive into that and yeah. pursue it? Like, how, how could you walk away from something that's so... Uh, promising and rich and full there's so much ahead to learn yeah and that to me is motivating it's like i want to go yeah. learn when, this is awesome when you're yeah. talking about like shut off the lights and then learn in that place where it's your choice to do so i mean that like we talk about hand tools all the time because we enjoy making things with hand tools far more than ever we did using plugged in tools oh yeah right and and so learning those skills and growing in those skills our pursuit not for, uh, you know, like in case everything comes crashing down, but c- because it's way more fun. Yeah. And, you know, when we go, I, I bring my kids out into the woods and we just try and forage for whatever food s- stuff we can find. It's not because we're trying to, you know, pack in a certain number of calories or something ridiculous like that. It's because <laughs> it's so much fun. It's like, the difference between thriving and surviving. Yeah, exactly. Like you we know, want a life of thriving, not a life yeah, of surviving. Of just scraping by. Um, so, you know, and the other thing that I keep thinking of is the fact that we're we're talking about this, like, uh, let's say, like this this Armageddon kind of thing where civilization is kicked back, say, to pre-industrial times. People thrived then. Yep. Uh, our ancestors 
knew how to survive. They knew how to live off the land. They knew, I mean, these are not skills that are impossible to attain. In mm -hmm. fact, they were pretty universal, as universal as the iPhone, you know, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. People knew how to do this. And to me, just, um, you know, trying to be a, uh, put it this way, like a student of our ancestors. Mm. They were way smarter than we give them credit for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, I mean, just um, some of the, the knowledge, the, the inherent, like the folk knowledge, um, right? In issue 11, I wrote about um, the uh, Foxfire and the book series and the museum and that whole project, just uh, digging into the folk knowledge of these, these elderly people who are living in their mountain cabins in the south, the south um, of the United States. And they had so much knowledge and wisdom about the land and how to raise food and how to make things with their own hands that was almost completely lost mm -hmm. in, in just one generation. And so it is not uh, unattainable. It's, yeah. it's knowledge that your grandparents had, you know, or probably kick it back a little further now at this point. But, um, but I find it just so... Um, enthralling really to to look at and to try and learn these things and to try and see with the eyes that those people could see with mm -hmm. you know looking at their their environment and saying here's what i need here's how i can get it here's how to move forward today and tomorrow and looking ahead to winter you know um these are all things that that can be learned um but we just have to put in the effort to do it yeah i'm with you man <laughs> That's, that's the journey. That's yeah. the that's the pursuit. Is um, dive into the deep end and soak up all that you can because life's too short to yeah. miss it. Why miss it, right? Yeah, totally. It well, is good stuff. Thank you for listening to the Mortis and Tenon podcast. If you haven't subscribed, uh, you can do so at uh, iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or your Atari or wherever you uh, <laughs> subscribe to podcasts. And you can leave your comments below in our blog post, and we are happy to get back to you. If you have some good book recommendations or yeah. some maybe some rebuttals, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> whatever, uh, feel free to leave those. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>